2: and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for July 3rd, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Uh, welcome as always, Catherine Smith.
1: Greetings from Atlanta.
2: And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, a uh, big Independence Day weekend show. Um, here in about 20 minutes, uh, coming on the show for I don't know how many times, our uh, Wisconsin political expert, Dr. Anthony Trugoski, And uh, Dr. Trugoski is going to talk to us about things in Wisconsin, but he's willing to even lead the state lines at times as well. Uh, but we've got a lot of other um, topics to cover. And, and first thing, we're going to kind of extend our lead topic from last week with some Actual, you know, implications of what's happened, and these are very disturbing stories, but um, they have to be told because even though we're a political show, we don't want to focus just on the politics. We want to have a human face, you know, on what, you know, the decisions of laws and courts and whatnot mean, and um, I guess I'll take them in chronological order in the way they broke in the news Um, in um, Ohio. Uh, very sadly, tragically, a ten-year-old young girl was raped, and according to the law, the the, the time in which this occurred, um, it had gone over the time that the Ohio law that has kicked in due to the Supreme Court's ruling, in which she could have um, a procedure um, to you know end that pregnancy of a ten-year-old. Um, that that age cannot be emphasized enough. And they had to take her across state lines to Indiana, which I was kind of surprised, you know, that Indiana's actual – their um, uh, laws are a little um, more open than Ohio's in this case. Um, very, very sad situation. Uh, Catherine, your thoughts on that?
1: It's tragic. It's terrible. It's uh you know, it's shocking that we're at this state in our country where a ten-year-old—she's ten, right? Or ten or twelve? It said young. ten. Ten years old uh, is what I read. Yeah, no. I think it was ten. Uh, can't get an abortion after being raped. Um, It's—I I don't know what else to say except that it's shocking and it's—it. Uh, it's a terrible. It, it sets her on a path to. I mean, it, it's it, there's so much stigma attached now to what she had to go through, and uh, I mean, the uh, initial, the initial tragedy of it that was that she was a, that she was raped, and then to have to be carried across state lines to um, have an abortion is you know further stigma and i just always worry about you know how this plays out for the rest of her life and uh it's it's just it's terrible where we're at uh with these very safe and very necessary procedures it's tragic
2: yeah um tim your your thoughts on this um
3: situation yeah
2: tragedy don't begin
3: to describe it uh, this poor child uh apparently um legal services took her to in front of a judge to ask them to allow her to get an abortion and uh, they have a six weeks um heartbeat law. Or, or whatever they call it, in, in Ohio. Um, if you are beyond six weeks pregnant, uh, you have to carry the child, a term. And uh, apparently this child was six weeks and three days pregnant. Three days and, and that was the justification that the authorities used for uh making her um carry the child. Um I mean, to to miss it by three days and, and, and then to be advised by the judge to continue your pregnancy. So that Uh, I don't even know what to use, what uh, what adjective to use to describe it. And, of course, she was forced to go to the state of Indiana and and have the procedure there. Uh, There's a clinic in uh, Indianapolis. I believe the director of that clinic said they are seeing at least 20 out-of-state patients daily. Uh, People are having to travel a long way, if any of you are. I know... All of us on here tonight have been to the state of Indiana, and Indianapolis is kind of right in the middle of the state. So it's not close to any other state line. So people have to go a, a long way to get there, and uh, that's what
2: we're used to now, guys, uh, stuff like this. Yeah. As we're talking about this, you know, I, I kind of think about um, when when a crime's sometimes committed, uh, particularly a murder, um, and the governor of a state, you know, that person will be sentenced to death, and the governor of that state will listen to it and say, "You know, I'm going to stay that execution. There's some kind of circumstances here. I, I'm sure there's probably just no way in the law for this." But is it not seem, Catherine, like when a governor would hear these stories? I mean, it seems like you know the law would take care of some things uh, and, and have some protections, but. The governor would have the power to say, "Yeah, a ten-year-old a rape. We're just gonna, you know, low-profile medical take care of this." I mean, doesn't it kind of seems like it would kind of fit in that realm?
1: Um, I don't know how the laws are the the laws written. I don't think, uh, you know, if the law is the law. I don't think the governor can yeah. make any yeah. judgments on that. I don't know. But. I don't think. Yeah.
2: Well,
1: that's uh, I'm saying right in the law,
2: some exceptions. I, I mean, even if you are a, ch- a state That chooses to, in this interim to be, you know, um, very restrictive, have some some, you know, review in some case. I mean, because they are, you know, a, a jury and you know the state said, oh, it'll be capital punishment, and and a jury you know sentence that person to life, and you still give that governor the right to overturn that because of. Whatever situation they see, I mean, this is just the way I heard this. This seems like such circumstantial thing where it would kind of be outside the um, norm. Well, let's you know look at the next situation, and it brings up another thing too. Um, in this case, a twelve-year-old um, was raped, and apparently, this pregnancy's continued on to where you know she had the baby and. Um the rapist and it said the rapist, not the rapist family. I I read it twice, um, has been granted um, you know, some custody rights. I I was just baffled that this person's not in jail to have any kind of custody rights. But but this this occurred. Um, Catherine, I'll go to you first again on this one. Your thoughts
1: on it. I haven't read any of the details on that, but that's just, I mean, it's just unbelievable that you could give a rapist any kind of uh, access to that child, let alone, you know, I mean, I would think you couldn't even visit, <laughs> let alone have some, you know, power over there alive. Um, the only thing I can wonder is if it was statutory rape. But even then, it just just doesn't seem right. Um, and if they know it's the rapist, then like you said, they should be in jail or you know on probation or on parole or something. They should be. But these these uh these you know anti-abortion activists are very uh, very. Strident in their beliefs, and I don't. I don't know what the argument for that one is, though. I don't. I don't get it.
2: Yeah, I mean, this one seems like it's not even about. Uh, you know, pro-choice, about more. Right. This is about, you know, victims' rights, and if you've perpetrated a crime, the, the withholding of rights. I mean, this seems like. This is just, um, you know, if we'll talk about not being tough on crime, this sounds like a more criminal justice uh, shortcoming than anything else. Yeah, you're right. Um, But but it kind of does fit into this narrative of, you know, these horrific situations. Yeah. Well, um, I want to go ahead. I planned on, um, you know, transferring our conversation about Wisconsin until later in the show, but we've already got Anthony on the line, so I'm excited to bring in. For multiple times now, from the University of Wisconsin La Crosse, Dr. Anthony Trugoski. Welcome, Dr. Trugoski. Dr. Trugoski, you were there with us. Well, I tell you what I'll do. Uh, He'd been on there for a minute, and I uh, kind of let us finish our discussion. Let's pick it back up. And I'm going to throw something to y'all so I can kind of do some of my producing duties, um, you know, while. But um, we've started seeing some of the first polls come out on a lot of these Senate races in the, um, you know, last two weeks. Uh, We've gotten a number of them, and there was one, I think it was, um, it has progress in the title. I don't have polls up in front of me, but every single poll, Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, uh, Nevada, I want to say New Hampshire was in. It was five states, every single one of them, Democrats for winning. Tim, what was your take on those results? <laughs> well, I
3: mean, uh, going state to state, I guess, is the only way to do this. Um, just starting in New Hampshire, uh, uh, Maggie Hassan looks looks good there. She's uh, running a solid uh four to six points ahead she's only been behind in one poll and that poll was taken last year Uh, she's had a solid lead and I I think she's okay up there Um, do you wish me to continue or
1: yeah I think he's doing his producer duties oh he is well I was really relieved to see that poll for Maggie Hassan. That was good news. Uh huh. Um,
3: you, you know, with um, with control of the Senate at stake, Catherine, and plus this week, President Biden for the first time, indicating that he might be open. To the Senate, changing the filibuster rules um, a, a, on certain votes in the Senate, especially uh, um, on on items like you know abortion and, and things like that, um, control of the Senate now becomes paramount, and not only control of the Senate for the Democrats. But we would need to pick up two seats to be honest with you, because cinema uh, yeah. and Manchin just don't seem to be on board with doing anything about the filibuster, and unless it's fifty plus one to vote to change the filibuster rules, the filibuster rules are not going to be changed:
1: um, yeah, they're unreliable so in general
3: that that's right uh, another another thing, of course, we're watching. It is our own state
2: And uh, yeah. right now Tim, before, go ahead, you, before Dave. you get into Georgia Let me go ahead it, it, We had a little phone number issue But we do have on the line now It wasn't his fault It was a different caller on But I was trying to let on But hey, didn't jump on the call Which is great But now we do have uh, For multiple times From Wisconsin, lacrosse, uh Dr. Anthony Chagoski Welcome, Dr. Chagoski
0: well, thank you for having me again. Glad the imposter didn't make their way on the air, but I, I'm delighted, so delighted to be well, with you guys again. Yes, Blog Talk Radio has a
2: system that has some really neat benefits, but it has some quirks about it, like 10 people can just call in because it's kind of like terrestrial radio, and unless you have a dedicated producer that, that's not also trying to be the host, you, it's a little tougher <laughs> to screen calls. Um but, but we, we've got it worked out now, and so we're going to get up to the Badger State and really talk some politics. We were talking Senate races um, around the country, but we had not even planned to talk about Wisconsin until we had the expert, you, on the show. So I do want to start there, and, and I want to have kind of an acute question. I've seen recent polls in the Democratic primary. Mandela Barnes continues to lead the lieutenant governor there, um, but – I think as a surprise, Alex Lassere is being second in a lot of these polls, and, and, and really a kind of a closer second than I might have predicted. And then Sarah Godlewski, who I think is a really, really excellent candidate, his seems to be third in almost every poll I've seen. If you've seen something else, you please let us know. But if that's the, the order in the polls you've been seeing, kind of tell
0: us why. Yeah, it's a really good point. The most respected poll in this is run by Marquette University. And as you mentioned in the last poll that came out uh, about a week and a half ago, Mandela Barnes, the lieutenant governor, got 25 percent of the support of Democratic primary voters. And Alex Lassery got 21 percent. Sarah Godlewski, who is the state treasurer, got nine percent. And Tom Nelson, who has been a figure in local government in the state, got 7%. And I think there's a couple reasons behind the top two with Mandela Barnes and Alex Lazary. Obviously, there's a lot of enthusiasm on the Democratic side because of who the incumbent is, Ron Johnson. And as a sign of hope for the Democrats, Ron Johnson's favorability has taken a real hit in the state in certainly in in the last year or so where now he has about 37 percent favorability compared to 46 percent unfavorability so he remains very vulnerable and so the democratic primary is going to be really interesting to watch it has been really interesting to watch and is going to continue to be really key as 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 this race kind of sorts itself out but but Mandela Barnes is loved by the more activist base of the Democratic Party. He is, uh, you know, very much a Milwaukee figure through and through, and that remains really a key element of Democratic Party politics here in Wisconsin. Alex Lassery is well. Well, the Lasseries are billionaires. They they're a a billionaire family that came in as part of the group that bought the milwaukee bucks a couple years ago and i I tell you guys you know watching this race unfold in wisconsin you turn on the tv and you see ads for alex lassery and and that's really the real benefit of being able to self-fund your campaign and being just incredibly wealthy as well and then Sarah Godlewski is actually a similar figure in terms of her wealth. I mean, she's not nearly as wealthy as the Lassery family is, but she is the, – the the Godlewskis are millionaires, and they have been able to put a lot of their own money behind Sarah Godlewski's campaign. And then Tom Nelson is just kind of a, a quirky figure who – does attention-grabbing things and is able to gain support that way. I think the big surprise to me is that Sarah Godlewski has not been more successful, as you mentioned. Uh, that that Mandela Barnes, just because he's very well-liked among the base of the party, Lassery because he has been able to put in so much of his own money and just blanket the airwaves, you know it makes sense why they've been able to gain momentum but i've been surprised that sarah galbuski hasn't been more successful we we actually did see our first real dust up of the campaign where sarah galbuski has gone after mandela barnes for what she calls a moderate makeover basically saying that mandela barnes has you know, kind of this far left figure who is pretending to be a moderate. It, it, I mean, it really shows you the difference between the two parties. Where, you know, on on the Republican side in in the race for governor here, it's a race to embrace Donald Trump. And on the Democratic side, you know, they're they're really picking out their own ideological lanes in a really interesting way. So, I guess the the long and the short of it is that the Democrats' primary remains very unsettled here in the race for senate and it's as you as y'all mentioned it's going to be really key because of the need for the democrats to pick up multiple seats both here in wisconsin certainly in pennsylvania as well with john fetterman and the ricks there yes
2: now unfortunately it sounded like you have lots of money and then you get involved in wisconsin democratic politics Not you get involved in Wisconsin Democratic politics, and then you get to make lots of money. Because if it was the second, I would be packing up and moving soon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, there's something to that. I mean, you know, and Mandela Barnes is, you know, he he is a figure who comes from a very humble background. I think in many ways that's the contrast that he's trying to draw with his opponents, saying, you know, he's the – One millionaire who is not in the race, or he's the one person in contention who is not a millionaire, Uh, and he's kind of right about that. Uh, The Alex Lassery and Sarah Galbuski are very wealthy and have been able to, to a great extent, self fund their campaigns, and that has. Kept them both afloat. And on the Republican side, obviously, we know that Ron Johnson is very wealthy as well. He has been able to raise a lot of money just because one thing I've noticed about Ron Johnson is that he he frequently goes on Fox News and promotes his campaign website. He always, you know, he'll never do a Fox News appearance without mentioning, like, go to ronjohnson.com and help out the campaign. And so Ron Johnson is very effective at using conservative media to gain a lot of campaign resources so that he doesn't have to fund his own campaign. It def- definitely, though, there's going to be plenty of money available to whoever the Democratic Party nominee is. I mean, we know the nationwide reputation that Ron Johnson has among Democratic Party voters and Democratic Party activists. So there's going to be a lot of money flowing into this state. But as far as the primary is concerned, you know, we're in, we're an interesting state here in Wisconsin because we have quite a late primary election. Our primary elections are not until August They They are over to they are over a month away. And, and so that means that this race really is not going to settle for a solid month plus and, and we're not going to know who the Democratic nominee is in the race against Ron Johnson for over a month and that is going to have effects on how this race turns out. So um, we you know as y'all have been watching this race unfold around the country uh, we've got another month plus yet until we know who's going to be the Democratic Party standard bearer against Ron Johnson in November.
2: Sounds like a political consultant employment plan to me. Now, one more question. I don't teach math, and so therefore I'm not an expert at it. But but the math I was hearing you say, it sounds like upwards of 40 percent of the Democratic primary voters are undecided, according to polling. And that's a nice chunk. Um, Who are they? Who do you think they might end up leaning towards? I mean, just give a sure – Political scientists, x 40 percent undecideds.
0: Yeah, you know, we have seen this happen in both the Republican race for governor against our incumbent governor, the Democrat Tony Evers, and in the U.S. Senate race against Republican Ron Johnson as Democrats compete for the nomination there, there are a lot of undecided voters. And honestly, I do think it is a product of the timing that voters here are not used to tuning into politics until pretty darn late in the ballgame compared to maybe voters in Georgia or voters in other states. So I think it's going to favor the candidates who can really make a big push, who have the resources to make a big push in these next several weeks. Because we're going to see voters, you know, as you mentioned, a solid 40% of them being undecided on the Democratic side. We're going to see them start to actually tune in for the first time in the upcoming weeks. And so the, the big question now is who's going to peak at the right time? And we're seeing the race heat up. I mean, the stakes are clear, as as you have mentioned, for the Democrats when it comes to the filibuster. I mean, that is one area where all of these candidates are on the same page on the Democratic Party side. They are all in favor across the board in, in getting rid of the filibuster, in going to a 50-vote, 50 51-vote Senate, getting rid of the 60-vote rule. So that is not going to be... Be a key issue in this campaign in the weeks ahead. We are going to see, though, the attacks start to heat up. And like I said, we have seen that in terms of Sarah Godlewski, the state treasurer, going after Mandela Barnes for, in her sense, just kind of being a fraud. And 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 as she says, you know, trying to pretend to be something he's not. But uh, you know, the candidates are on the same page on the filibuster that that seems to be almost a litmus test for the democratic at this point so um you know we're going to see more subtle differences emerge ideologically though i and policy wise the candidates don't there's just not a lot of daylight between these candidates it's going to be more about You know, like Mandela Barnes says, do we want another millionaire in the Senate? Or like Sarah Godlewski says, can we trust Mandela Barnes to be who who he says he is? So so we're going to see voters, many of whom have not really been paying attention, start to tune in for the first time. And this race is way up in the air, as you noted, with 40% of voters undecided. This is anyone's ballgame still. And the consequences could not be greater, given the urgency with which Democrats are going after Ron Johnson as a top target in the November elections. Yes, and we haven't even gotten into that general part yet at all, so
2: I'm going to state that (laughs) and everything else uh, for Tim and Catherine, and then I may have some questions towards the end. But I'm going to pass it along to Tim for whatever he may have. Oh, good evening doctor, and thank you for being
3: with us uh again tonight. I seem yeah, to, nice to recall hear from you. about Yeah, I seem to recall about a year ago and perhaps we've talked actually talked about this, that the Republican legislature um decided that they were gonna do an election review of uh the twenty twenty presidential election in Wisconsin and they appointed to lead this effort a former justice of the Supreme Court up there and now i read that this thing is still
0: going on
3: <laughs>
0: you are correct uh we might be the only state in the nation here in Wisconsin we might be the only state with still an official of investigation into the 2020 election ongoing you're right <laughs> We we have uh, we have a former state supreme court justice named Michael Gabelman who is continuing to investigate the 2020 election. There's there's actually been some news on this. Uh, since I talked to you last about this. Uh, no news in terms of actual findings of the investigation, but uh, news, in terms of, news in terms of some strange aspects of this investigation. I mean, I was quoted in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel calling this a soap opera. One of my colleagues at UW-Madison, uh, Wisconsin-Madison, was quoted as calling it a circus, and I think either would be an apt description. Uh, it, it, it turns out that Michael Gableman, was paid $22,000 at the beginning of the investigation to go to his local library to use the computers there to conduct the investigation. So basically, he was just like Googling stuff and printing off articles that he found interesting at his local library because he didn't own a computer and was paid over twenty thousand dollars in taxpayer money to do that he also went to the mike lindell event that was held in south dakota he went (laughs) he went to see the cyber ninjas in arizona so he's been he's been involved in all kinds of things he actually was just held in contempt by a judge in madison He was making crude jokes about the judge. He was making a scene on the stand. He's been involved in more lawsuits than I can count related to open records requests. He has deleted emails, which I recall being an issue in the 2016 campaign and is now an issue again. Uh, He deleted emails. He has not been responsive to open records requests. Um, So, This investigation, as I said in the uh, Journal Sentinel, I think that the Republicans are Republican leaders are hoping that this investigation maybe goes away without a certain former president noting that it has gone away uh, because a certain former president is the reason that this investigation got started in the first place and the pressure that he was putting on Republican leaders here so this has been just a giant mess uh but but the investigation continues we are over a million dollars in on the taxpayer tab and uh you know if if you want to i always say if you want to make good money in wisconsin Uh, we mentioned being a political consultant that's a good way to make a lot of money here in wisconsin also being a lawyer is a good way because uh we frequently (laughs) just have things tangled up in a whole web of lawsuits and that is certainly the case for this investigation oh wonderful and 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 since we you had
3: mentioned uh your supreme court that's where i want to go next because I have to ask you to explain this story to me. How is it that your state Supreme Court can rule that a member of the of the Natural Resources Board can remain on the board after his term expired in May of 2021 and the governor can't replace him, which the governor should be able to do. I, what in the world is going on there?
0: <laughs> you see things in Wisconsin politics that you never <laughs> thought you would see. I mean, for example, that we have the only, i again, I believe the only active remaining investigation into the 2020 election. And as you mentioned, we have someone who is on a key state agency. His name is Fred Treen. He's a dentist who is on the Department of Natural Resources Board here in Wisconsin, which sounds rather boring, um, but it actually is a key, uh, a key agency regarding water pollution and, and chemicals and water, which has been a big issue here. But, you know, he's notable for the fact that he is not leaving off. Um, He is a Scott Walker appointee, and he has decided that he can remain in his position even though his term has expired. Now, he's still there because the state Senate, which is controlled by a strong majority of Republicans, has not confirmed the Selection of the Democratic governor Tony Evers to be his successor. But, you know, I, I just, you know, like one of my colleagues at UW Madison said, um, you know, you might think when someone's term expires, they have to leave office. Uh, but that's not the case, apparently, here in Wisconsin. Um, you know, you can just, apparently, just remain in your office indefinitely as long as. No successor gets confirmed. So, like, like I said, uh, <laughs> there's, there's, you know, this is like the best state to be a political scientist because you see things that you never thought possible. Um, you, you see someone just straight up refuse to leave office and get away with it. So. There you go. I, I, just things in things in politics that you never thought possible, they are possible, and Wisconsin is the evidence for that.
1: <laughs>
3: okay. Well, I, I'm going to ask you one more question, and this time I'm going to try – I don't know. I'm going to try to broach a, a normal subject. Um, <laughs> you, you have a governor's race this year, and – a, a new poll shows that uh, a businessman uh, by the name of Kim Michaels, who who Donald Trump is supporting, is basically virtually tied with uh, Rebe- Rebecca uh, Kleepish, uh the former lieutenant governor, for the Republican nomination. So... Will the backing of Donald Trump be enough to propel Michaels to victory? And the second part of that question, who would the Democrats rather
0: face in November? Do they have a preference? You know, I, I think they see opportunities regardless of who it is. I, I think with Tim Michaels, he's going to be branded by Democrats as an out-of-state billionaire who is just kind of coming, mm-hmm. just to sort of show it, showing up because – there's a governor's race, and he has wanted to be governor, and so here he is. On the other hand, they can tie Rebecca Clayfish back to Scott Walker. As, as you mentioned, she was mm-hmm. lieutenant governor when Scott Walker was the governor here. So I, I don't know that the Democrats have a clear preference, but this has been a messy fight on the Republican side, and it's really indicative of an interesting I guess an interesting spot that the Republican Party here is in because the Republican Party in Wisconsin had achieved really noteworthy status in the broader nation because Scott Walker had been successful at winning elections, he survived the recall, he got through the the bill related to public employee unions uh, you know he had really gained the great prestige within the Republican Party and the Wisconsin Republican Party had been noted for what people perceived as its, its strength at a time when other Republican parties in, in other states were struggling but then you have Donald Trump really come in and take on people who were key figures in the republican party here i mean he you Mm -hmm. know reportedly thought that scott walker was kind of a joke when he was running against scott walker for president uh paul ryan and donald trump repeatedly clashed when paul ryan was the speaker of the house so it's a really interesting battle where you have the trump wing of the republican party personified by Tim Michaels running for governor and sort of the Scott Walker brand of the Republican party as personified by Rebecca Clayfish. I don't know who's going to mm-hmm. win, but it's been, it's been messy. And I think that the, you know, the the, the stakes are really high there because the Republicans do think they can turn this democratic held Gubernatorial seat they think they can win it, but you know as this race gets messy um, they're they're going to have some issues perhaps uniting the party as they go into the november elections uh, and and also just one final note um, all of the candidates are not answering the question if they think the election of 2020 was stolen oh, or not. Uh, so <laughs> so that remains in the background, of course, as we go into the primary election.
3: All right. I uh, appreciate it. And with that, I'm going to send it over to Catherine. Catherine?
1: Hey, thanks for being on tonight. We really appreciate it, especially on the holiday weekend. Um, no problem. Tim stole one of my questions. Which, about this uh, Supreme Court decision, which I just found endlessly confusing and <laughs> yeah. but I want to go back to I want to go back to your primary just for a second. Um, you talked about you know when the candidates peak and how important that's going to be, and uh, do you have early voting in Wisconsin?
0: We, we we do, and we have, um, you know, it, it is in the form of vote by mail. Um, I, I think that, you know, voters here tend to kind of disconnect during the summer months. <laughs> um, so I, I think one aspect of having a primary election that is so late is that, you know, it's it's just hard to get voters' attention while they're up at the cabin, up at the lake. So, I I think you know you you mentioned which candidate peaks, and that's absolutely right. And so much of that is just getting voters' attention, even. So that'll be a big struggle yeah, so for candidates.
1: So you don't have a long, you don't have any in-person early voting.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. You know, it it, it is. I mean, certainly Democrats have become more open to voting by mail, um, but, but yeah, I, I think you're going to see Democrats voting by mail and then that in-person voting on that primary election day.
1: Okay, because cause I know that here in Georgia we have, uh, I think now it's about three weeks of early voting in person uh-huh. at select polling places, not at... All the you know um, precincts, but it select polling right. locations, and we talk a lot about how that impacts advertising uh, promotion, mail, all those things and I just wondered if you had any thoughts about whether early voting has an impact on when those candidates peak, but I think you make a good point that you know people are on holidays and vacations and you know, spending time in their yards and at the pool, and they probably aren't going to be too concerned about elections.
0: Absolutely. And, and you know, voting does not start, even early voting does not start until the end of this month. Um, and so that is going to be a factor, as we talked about, in terms of when these candidates peak. You're going to be, as a candidate, you're going to be looking to peak the end of this month, certainly going into August.
1: Okay. And I wanted to just ask you if there were any uh, elections or matters that we haven't hit on that you think are really important or really interesting that, are, that we and our uh, listeners might like to hear about.
0: Absolutely. The attorney general election here. Um, this is notable because Wisconsin has an 1849 law that bans abortion in all cases except for the preservation of the life of the mother. And so all abortions have effectively stopped here in Wisconsin in the aftermath of Roe versus Wade being overturned because there is tremendous confusion about what exactly the law is in Wisconsin, if it's enforceable and who might be enforcing the law, if it is enforceable. So there's just total chaos and confusion here in Wisconsin regarding abortion, it means that in order to avoid legal jeopardy, the providers here are coping with that uncertainty by just stopping abortion. Now, people can go still to Minnesota and Illinois. It's still legal there in those bordering states. But here in Wisconsin, as I mentioned, wholesale stoppage of abortion. Now, that that comes into play in the attorney general election because Josh Hall is the current attorney general in Wisconsin. He's a Democrat and he has said that he is not going to enforce the abortion ban. Not only that, he is suing to overturn the abortion ban, basically saying it's such an old law that no one here really consented to that law. Plus he's saying that there have been more recent laws that really should apply instead. But, The abortion politics here in Wisconsin are are really, really key because of that just real almost 100 percent ban on abortions, the uncertainty surrounding that. I mean, that is even leaked into the district attorney politics and and like the local politics here because – yeah, because you have district attorneys saying I will enforce it, I won't enforce it. So, I mean, we have just seen the politics of of the attorney general race and and these local, you know, law enforcement district attorney races get upended by Roe versus Wade being overturned.
1: Well, I mean, I think there's confusion about um about laws across the country. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I uh, I work in the I, I work for Planned Parenthood, and mm-hmm. at our health centers, we we are we cover three states, and we have different laws in all three states, and um, there it's mass confusion across the country. I mean, can we even talk to patients if they're calling from a trigger ban state? You know, it's just uh, very complicated and uh, really. Very sad and tragic for a lot of people. But um, you know, uh, on, I'm glad that, to on hear that that, that note, I, I'm I'm actually glad to hear that it's something that's being talked about in these sure. AG races because I think it brings it even more to the um, front of the of the matters than as it should because it's very important. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, you I know.
0: Sure, no problem. Uh, you know, I, I just meant I was just going to mention that you know that this is even it's, it's made a lot more complicated by um, you know the fact that Illinois and and Minnesota still have abortion legal and and, and also uh, you know you, you mentioned kind of how this has the you know there's just been total confusion in in this in this area and, and that is really highlighted in the governor's race as well because. We have we have basically across the board Republican candidates for governor in Wisconsin saying that they want to keep this law in place. And, and I should note that the Wisconsin ban includes abortions in, in the cases of rape and incest. Those abortions are banned also. And when it comes to the law, Governor Evers, Tony Evers, the Democratic governor of Wisconsin, has said that he would – basically pardon anyone who might be convicted under this law the republican candidates have taken a completely different view of this saying that they would not only keep the law in place but enforce the law as well so i mean the politics of the state politics have just been completely upended in in wisconsin here as you mentioned for sure in the attorney general race and the governor's race as well and in some of these local races by roe way getting overturned it has been just it, it it has it it has absolutely um, changed the narrative of these races in a way that I'm still struggling to understand, but but no doubt will have a major effect on the outcomes.
1: Yeah, I think I mean I think it it's going to be one of the major topics going into the November elections. That and the economy. I don't. I think those are the two going to be the two key things i think there's a lot of people across the country who didn't think this was going to happen that didn't didn't think that 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 was row was safe and um i think there there's a lot of surprise around the country about it
0: i would agree and uh, certainly here in wisconsin people were not prepared for this outcome um you know we we knew what the law was on the books, I, I would say again from 1849. So, you know, this, this really old law, in fact, it was just a year after Wisconsin became a state. Uh, that's how old this law is. Um, so, you know, I don't think here people on either side were prepared for Roe to be overturned. And, and like I said, it's been, it's totally upended the politics of this state just as it has many other states.
1: Well, it's it's a fight worth fighting, so thank you for filling us in on that. And I'm going to turn it back to David. Thank you so much. Yes.
2: Well, Anthony, thanks for coming on the show, but um, we know you're always writing and, and talking about politics and, and weighing in the state like you've already alluded to. But just tell the people if they want to follow you on social media, read some other work. If you're regularly on somewhere, just uh, let our listeners know that.
0: Yeah, follow me on Twitter. I know that the show page has a link to my Twitter account. I, I'm frequently um and this is going to definitely be the case as the months as the weeks and months uh lead us up to the november elections uh yeah i'm frequently uh, a commentator on uh on in in the media here in western wisconsin as well as in madison and milwaukee and other parts of the state Uh, so i try to keep my twitter account updated with everything i've got going on and well, there's gonna be a whole lot going on. So, uh I'm I'm buckled up for a busy few months here, but uh I know I know you're buckled up for the same down there in Georgia.
2: Oh, definitely so. Same set of races. US Senate race, yep. uh governor's race, although you're defending the exact opposite two seats that we are in Georgia with incumbents.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, we've got, um, obviously, we've got a Democratic governor and a Republican senator. And that's going to be really interesting to watch kind of how this unfolds in in maybe a different way than in Georgia. I I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, like I said, abortion is going to affect the gubernatorial race. I'm still not quite sure how, but I, I know I know it will. And then, you know, we've got obviously I mean I can't think of people who two people who might be more different than Raphael Warnock and Ron Johnson. So I'm not even gonna start to compare those <laughs> two races. <laughs>
2: yes. And there's another individual who's very good at playing football but not so good at weighing in on political <laughs> affairs that's gonna um, I think he's like how that race turns out. Well, uh Chikosky, thanks again for um coming on the show. I know you're probably getting a little bit of a breather even if you do have a summer class or two. Nothing like the school year uh for taking care of that new baby.
0: Yeah, yep. Uh wife wife has been uh watching the baby uh while I've been on with you, so uh you know, I I think I I think I owe her the chance to rock the baby to sleep perhaps. So she's 2 months <laughs> old though.
1: Yes. <laughs> Tag out well, congratulations. and
3: give her her thanks. You got it. Thank you,
2: doctor. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Dr. Anthony Chagoski of the University of Wisconsin La Crosse in the western part of the state. That's the great thing about having all these guests, Jess. learn about um, state geography within these states, not only, obviously, where they are in our union. Well, um, Tim, sorry to kind of uh, cut it short, but I'm going to let you pick back up. You were talking about our state of Georgia, that race that he alluded to with Raphael Warnock facing off against Herschel Walker. Yeah, um,
3: compilation polling now uh, has recently moved Warnock into the lead over Herschel Walker by about two points. Uh, Warnock at, took the lead first in late April and has pretty well steadily held it since then. So I'm uh, I'm a bit more hopeful about that race than I've been, and. Uh, uh, a, a lot of that obviously has to do with, with with what you just mentioned, David. The fact that while a person may be rather adept on the football field, that does not make them rather adept, especially in front of a microphone, does it?
2: Not at all. Nice. Well, Catherine, last <laughs> yeah, last week um, you were on the early part of the show and did a great job, really, you know, carrying that conversation. But later we talked. About Herschel Walker and uh, Raphael Warnack and their race, and um, you didn't even get to weigh in on that. But of course, we got more polling now. So, kind of give us your thoughts on um, some of the misstatements and some of the interesting developments, like releasing two books that Senator Warnock had. Just how all that's kind of affecting this race?
1: Well, I um, I didn't know he'd released two bit, two books. I've I've been uh, a little bit distracted but um i have seen some of these ads and i just i don't know who does uh senator reverend warnock's ads but they are always so good and uh he comes off so authentically and so um uh smart and compassionate and i mean they do a really good job I mean, it helps that they have a really stand-up guy to um, advertise for. And then there's these anti-Warnock ads that are this sort of dark and, uh, and uh, like, gritty, you know, talk about how he's, you know, this, you know, crazy radical. and But I just... Every time I see anything about Herschel Walker, I just roll my eyes and think, how, how are we here now that this person, who clearly is not – I mean, he's hardly capable of putting a sentence together, and he's our <laughs> candidate for the U.S. Senate. You know, it's just hard to believe that he could be – you know one of a hundred people you know making decisions and leading our country it's just mind boggling that that is the person that the Republican party would choose to represent them um i mean i i I don't mean that i i mean he's just a he's flawed in the most important ways to be uh Serving as a senator, he it, he doesn't know about the country or the hist- or history or the constitution or the setup of the country of the government. He uh, is not able to communicate his ideas in a, any kind of sensible fashion, and he has some serious um, infractions in his history that make him not a very um, likable or competent leader. So I just don't understand how we got to this place.
2: Yeah, and I think that actually gets laid at the feet of the Georgia Republican Party, be it the leaders of the electorate, um, and not even Herschel Walker, because he probably doesn't know what he doesn't know. And yeah, I agree. And one, the leaders of that party should have said, let's recruit A better candidate, if we don't think Jay Black can get the job done, if we don't think, you know, Lacey Sadler can make the step up from, you know, really virtual unknown to the candidate, they should have recruited somebody else. Um, You know, Mark Butler, I mean, he may be just sick of politics, but he was the labor commissioner. I can't imagine he could have done worse than Herschel Walker, and he would have been a statewide official. Um, a, a, A congressional representative... Maybe not the one from northwest Georgia, but maybe one of the other ones, um, you know, would have uh, made better news for them. But that's their fault because they went with this person who thinks there's 52 states. um, Yeah, exactly. You know, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is a split personality situation. I mean, this is just – and we're only, you know, the first few days of July. and we don't know what's going to be what? said. And now Brian Kemp has agreed to two debates for governor, and I think that puts pressure on Herschel Walker to have at least two debates for Senate. And you get him out there for an hour, hour and a half, uh, with no notes, with no um, somebody to handle him, no telling what he'll say in that debate situation. That they'll have to walk back. Jim.
3: Well, uh, I was going to say here. Here's where I think they they made the mistake. They saw Donald Trump get elected president. Now, you know, there was this reason, there was that reason, there was this thing that happened, that thing that happened. But the very main reason that Donald Trump came to prominence to start with to be able to run, garner the nomination, and be elected president was his celebrity status. Therefore, the Republicans in this state thought that it would be enough that Herschel Walker was Herschel Walker that he was yeah. this uh iconic football hero which he was he's I think he's the best college running back I've ever seen and and you know how hard it is for me as a Georgia Tech fan to say that but it but it's the truth but that has nothing to do with his ability to you know, run in a U.S. Senate campaign, much less serve in the U.S. Senate, but I just think they were thinking no further ahead than this guy can win simply, not because of anything he does, says, but simply because of who he is. They're still betting on that, and uh, I think he has a an almost 50 chance, but not quite, of, of proving them right, that, that he can still win this thing. Other, on the other hand, if he loses this thing, it will be him, really, that lost it, and he'll have no no one else to blame. So that's where they are. They, they have selected themselves uh, – a, a, a football icon, a celebrity, to run on the hopes that that'll be enough for him to win, and we'll, we'll just see if it if it happens or not. But I agree with you on one thing, David. Uh, it'd be a good idea if Herschel Walker did not get on that debate stage uh, uh, un, unless uh, he he does some real hard training between now and then, because right now he's not ready for primetime.
2: And I think he's in a bad situation either way. I think this is a case
0: where once again,
2: and the Republican Party is not very functional. My understanding is, David Schaefer and Brian Kemp's campaign do not get along. Um, they're not on the mm-hmm. same page. Because if if, if and, and really, I mean, it may be that Brian Kemp's campaign is running the Brian Kemp's campaign for Brian Kemp, and that is their right. But if they thought, well, let's try to get you know both people across the finish line. You wouldn't hung Herschel Walker up dry like that. I mean, he's sitting on the um you know, twice for governor, um, you know, and so that I think, like I said, puts the pressure on. Now we've had more polls, and this is something I've said it exists that Survey USA poll. Now we've seen more polls that show the same thing. There are at this moment in time, we're not Kemp voters. Do y'all think that number will stay constant? Will grow? Or will shrink because if it does, that bodes well for the two incumbents—one for Democrats, one for Republicans. Catherine, what do you think?
1: I would not be surprised to see uh, large numbers of Kemp Warnock voters. Not I mean, not large numbers, but but uh, you know, a, a noticeable number. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I mean, I just think that people—if there are people who are really thinking about what happens at, in the U.S. Senate, and they look at Herschel Walker. They just—I mean—I don't know how you can vote for him if you're really if you're really thoughtful about the you know work of the U.S. Senate. Yes, Tim. Same question.
3: Well, the the Warnock. Kemp voters, it is highly, highly, highly likely that they are Republicans. Uh, The polls continuously show that the Republican voters this year are the most ginned-up group, and guess who's the least ginned-up group to vote? That's the independent voters. That includes the conservative independents. So these Warnock-Kemp voters, it's highly likely that they are Republicans, and if Herschel Walker has already lost them, Herschel Walker is in some big, big, big trouble because we're in about a 50-50 split state right now. We're to the point that Republican statewide uh, office seekers cannot afford to lose 3 or 4% of their vote over to the Democratic candidate. It, they're going to lose. And that's why you can see uh, a growing group of people saying that, that it's very possible this year that we might re-elect a Republican governor and re-elect a Democratic senator and the same group of voters would be responsible for doing it.
2: Yes. And it's going to be interesting. Me, and I will say this. polls we saw this week were better for Stacey Abrams than that Survey USA poll, which first identified this model. Catherine, last Kate? Okay.
1: Yeah, I just have a question. What if um, the polls, you know, get worse for Herschel Walker? Is what would happen if Trump like distanced himself from him? <laughs> He'd collapse. Yeah, I guess it, the, the, I don't know the party rules
2: and the election rules. Obviously, if it gets too far, you know, after Halloween or something, Herschel Walker can't drop out because he can't make ballots, or even sometime after Labor Day. If he dropped out the next two weeks, could the Republicans meet, elect, a new, or you know appoint a new nominee? I don't know the rules. Could Herschel Walker, could the campaign be? I will, if elected, I will resign by St. Patrick's Day, and you know theoretically Brian Kemp would be reelected. And he would hopefully they would say don't appoint Kelly Loeffler this time. Okay, left her, but um, you know I'll Dave, I'll yeah. step down because I'm so incompetent. Um, David, I mean those right are quick, some crazy you, scenarios, but this is politics yeah.
3: and crazy David, things right happen. David, right quick, right right quick before we go off, you alluded to this already, but don't you think if things get too bad that Kemp would think nothing about distancing himself as far as he could from Walker?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. The way Trump treated him, and the way you know, yeah. Donald Trump appointed Herschel Walker, he could throw Herschel Walker under the bus even further than yep. this debate thing, if he wanted to. Yep. Um, but it's going to be interesting because if these polls keep showing the governor's race as a tie race or a margin of error race, and Democratic turnout does get better, you know it's going to be an interesting race right there. I think we're still talking about it six weeks ago. With those polls and how it looks, mm-hmm. um, it seems mm-hmm. like it may be a different race in the next few weeks. For the governor's polls will kind of tell us how that goes. Um, and yeah. speaking of next week and talking about voter enth- enthusiasm, our guest is the expert on the Gen Z voter from Harvard University, John De La Volpe. Uh, he's going to come on the show. We're going to ta- we talked about the book last time. We may have some more questions about fight. But more than anything, we're going to talk to them about Gen Z voters and how they may start turning out in the general because, frankly, they haven't been in the primaries. But that's on next week's show. Okay. Good night, guys. All right. Good night, everybody.
1: We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world?